Glad you've joined us today. If it is your first time with us, make yourself at home. We're really glad that you're here with us. We really look forward every single week to getting together like this, hanging out, singing, worshiping God, learning from the scripture. Uh, But this is just a piece of who we are as a church. If you're going to be part of our church family, it's bigger and broader than that, which is why we talk about groups that are meeting all week long, ministry teams that are serving together. There's lots of different ways. Jess mentioned Women's Connect. Um, And so there are lots of different ways to get connected and really make this more than just something that you attend or that you are a part of on Sunday morning, but to really make this a church family. And that's very important to us. And so um, together we love to do this thing where we study through a book of the Bible, um, a particular section of the Bible, and not only do we learn on the weekend together, but then uh, during the week groups study that passage again and really dig in, can discuss it, ask questions, flesh out and read other scriptures that pertain to it and all of that. So it's a big part of what we're doing right now as we're going through the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians, for those of you that may be new with us, is Paul writing to a group of believers that are spread out in all these different churches in this area called Galatia. And he's trying to encourage them in the foundation of their faith because he was there and he started these churches and he taught them the truth of the gospel, which is there is no way that you or me can be good enough to earn justification before God. There's no way you or me can have a list of rules that we keep well enough in order to earn our spot in heaven. That's not possible, or to be with God forever. The only way that's possible is if someone who is without sin and fulfills the law gives their life on behalf of everyone else, which is what Christ did. Jesus came to earth, fully God and fully man, gave his life on the cross in our place, redeemed us from our sin, and he rose again on the third day. And the only way to be justified before God is to put your faith in Jesus and receive the grace of God. That's it. No work that you can do to earn it. That's not possible. So he had taught them this in Galatia, and then he left, and then these other people came in, these Jews came in, and they said, yes, that's absolutely true, but also you have to become Jewish. You have to accept and follow the whole Old Testament law, which means you have to get circumcised. You need to observe the Sabbath. You need to change your diet. You need to change the feasts and festivals and all these things that you're celebrating. You need to start tithing. You need to do all of this stuff that the law tells us we have to do. And that wasn't true. And that's that. You, so for those of you that may be new to Christianity as a whole, and you look at the Bible and you see this big thing, and it's very daunting and very confusing, There are some things that you really need to understand in order to get what is happening in Scripture. So God created humanity, and he led people through history, and then he decided that he wanted to create for himself a people, a nation. And so he singled out Abraham, and he said, Abraham, through you I'm going to build by nation, but through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That was part of the promise he made to him. And he said, I'm going to give you this, all of this land, and I'm going to give you descendants more than the stars in the sky. He said, it's kind of a funny interaction. He takes Abraham outside, and he says, look up at the sky. Look up here. Look at the stars. If you could count them, that's how many descendants you will have, which was laughable to Abraham and to his wife, Sarah, because they were advanced in years and hadn't had any children yet. But God fulfilled his promise to them in that. 
And so God makes this promise, and he begins building this nation, and Abraham has a son Isaac. Isaac has a son Jacob. Jacob is renamed Israel. Jacob has multiple sons. These become the tribes of Israel. So God is, is building his people through these people, but ultimately the goal is that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through them. And so they end up, they end up growing, but they don't understand what, how to honor God, how to follow him, and they're making all kinds of mistakes. And so then God gives them, through Moses, the mediator, through Moses, he gives them another covenant, another agreement called the Mosaic Covenant, or called the law, all right? And the law had all kinds of rules in it. The promise to Abraham was unconditional. We talked a lot about that last week. God did his part on that covenant ceremony. Abraham did nothing. So that was one-sided, unconditional. The law, however, was conditional. God said, if you do this, I will do this. And it was a whole list of rules. And this is all the things that you think of when you think of um, people who are Jewish today and them having to f- follow the law. They, they you know, the diet restrictions, days, feasts, festivals, sac- system of sacrifices to atone for sin, um, uh, things like tithing and the Sabbath and all these things that they had to do were all part of this ceremony, this law. Okay. And so there was this really confusing time when the law was in place for so many years, and it's the way that people looked at their relationship with God was through the law. But Paul, in, his, in our passage last week, Paul called the law a, the word he used was pedagogue, um, but we don't, that's not a word we use. You might think of like uh, a governess or a nanny or someone. It's translated in, in our Bibles, we talked about this last week, but it's translated in our Bibles as tutor, but that doesn't, that's not a great translation because of the way we think of that word now. We think of a tutor as someone who teaches. That's not what he said. What he said was pedagogue, and a pedagogue was someone who would care for a child until that child was mature enough to care for themselves. So what, he, what Paul said is that's what the law was. The law was there to care for people, to show them what God's will was, but also to be a mirror for their sin so they could see that they were sinful. That's why it existed. Last week we talked about a mirror, right? If you have something on your face, you go look in the mirror. A couple times this week, I went into the bathroom and I looked up at the mirror and I'm like, do I have anything on my face? <laughs> no, no, but the mirror, the mirror can't clean your face. You don't use the mirror to clean your face. The mirror shows you that you have something on your face and then you clean it. So that's what the mirror, that's what the law was designed to do. The law was, was a caretaker. The law was a mirror. The law was pointing people to their need for a savior in the future. And so Paul says, so now that the Savior has come, now that Christ has died on the cross, we're no longer under the tutor. We're no longer under the pedagogue. We're no longer under the law. So this is a resounding discussion. And and understanding this dynamic that's going on, because all these people who had been Jews their entire life, but then realized Jesus is the Messiah and they accept him by faith, there's a lot of confusion because what are we supposed to do with the law? The whole way we've been living our life, our entire lives, that our family is still telling us we're supposed to do and the Pharisees are still telling us we're supposed to do and what are we supposed to do here? There's a lot of confusion. That's what a lot of the New Testament has to do with. So understanding that dynamic that's happening is crucial to understanding what we read in the New Testament, this new covenant, this new agreement that we have, grace in Jesus Christ. And the the resounding, definitive decision of of Paul and Peter and James and John and all the leaders of the early church is salvation, justification before God comes through faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God, not by any works at all. Okay? So you do not have to believe in Jesus and then also do the law. You don't have to do that. Now, believers may choose to, 
may choose to do elements or pieces or whatever as they're led by the Spirit, but it is not compulsory for salvation. Right? So he's trying to get this through, and he really dug in on that last week when he talked about the role of the law and the role that it serves even today. And I know that in groups this week, you talked about, okay, so how do we use the law? Knowing we're not under it, how do we use it? How do we learn from it? What does it show us? And um, it still acts as a mirror for us to show us our sin, and it still guides our decisions and our lifestyles, but we do that in the spirit not legalism. So uh, that's all kind of bringing you up to speed if you're, if you're new to us here. We're getting into Galatians chapter 3, the very end of chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, and we'll move, we'll move into chapter 4 today as well. Uh, but in chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So you are all sons, all right? Ladies, you are sons, <laughs> all right? And that is important. He doesn't say sons and daughters. It's important, and you'll see why in a second, because he's setting up a metaphor here. All right, he's setting up an analogy here. All right, but you are sons, and in this case, we are all sons, men and women, we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus. But don't feel singled out, okay? Because Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says that the church is the bride of Christ, so I'm a bride, all right? And you're a son. So that's just how it works. They're metaphors, okay? So anyway, so he says, uh, we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Meaning we all come on the same ground to God. We come through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. So we all come through him. And that makes us sons of God. And you can make that decision today, by the way, if you've never done that before, to put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Instead of trying to continue to save yourself, which isn't going to work, put your faith in Jesus for salvation, and you today become a son of God. He says in verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, baptize, what is he talking about? Because we think, when he says baptize, we think of water, right? You, that's probably what you think of. But more than likely, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. When we, when we accept Jesus by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then water baptism is just the physical expression of that. Water baptism is us saying, that has happened to me. And I want you all to know that has happened to me. All right, so when we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, many of you, as we're baptized into Christ, have put on Christ— this is a really cool terminology that Paul uses, and he uses it several times. And in groups this week, you're going to go through and read other scriptures where he talks about putting on Christ and what this means. But he almost talks about Christ's righteousness like it's clothes. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an analogy that you see throughout scripture. Almost like putting on a jacket. And I can't help, it's football season, okay? And uh, I, I didn't actually even watch the Bills game last week because it was during the, during the service, and then we went on vacation, and then I never had a chance to watch it. I'm probably not going to watch it because they lost, uh, and that'll probably just infuriate me. But, uh, but I can't help but think about sports and, um, when you talk about putting something on like this because all I can picture is it's like we're putting on the Team Jesus jersey, <laughs> Right? I'm putting on the Team Jesus jersey, and when I get baptized with water, I'm doing that publicly so that everybody can see it. But if you've been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Like you're wearing, I know that's weird, right? That's weird, but you're wearing him, okay? 
You are now wearing, he is, and, and this, this analogy of clothes, it's, it's as if I've exchanged my dirty clothes for his clean ones. It's almost like I'm wearing, I'm wearing a shirt that's covered in stains and mud, and so I hand my muddy, stained shirt over to Jesus, and Jesus gives me his clean, pristine, white, ironed, pressed, starched shirt to wear. All right, that's the exchange that has happened. And he talks about it like that. I've exchanged my sinful robe for the robe of Jesus' righteousness. And clothes, clothes are really important to us. And have you ever noticed uh, the way that your mentality changes when you put on certain clothes? Like, like your, your, what you wear can drive your entire attitude, your entire mood, your entire, the decisions that you make. Like I feel totally different when I'm at home and I got sweatpants and and no socks and a t-shirt and I'm laying on the couch than when I'm dressed up in my suit, which I do own, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, ba- Bailey, Bailey Arante and Marshall Pinkston got married last Sunday afternoon after church. They got married, and I had to put on my suit. And when I put on the suit and the shoes kind of clickety-clack as, as I walk, and, and, you know, I'm just like, I got to suck in my gut so it all fits just right, and I got the tie on. I just feel, you know, I feel different. You feel different when you dress like that. I, um, when, uh, when we started the church, we started uh, Carolina Family Church, and I didn't have an office. We didn't have a building or anywhere for me to sit and work. I worked from home. And I was really struggling with um, being productive at home because I'm at home and there's so many distractions and responsibilities there. And it's hard to stay focused on what I need to stay focused on. And one of the, the best pieces of advice anyone gave me on how to be productive when working at home, they said, dress to the shoes. Which means get dressed like I'm going out to work and put on shoes. <laughs> as silly as that is, makes all the difference in the world. It's crazy how what you wear impacts the way that you think. And so if I wake up and I think to myself, today I am putting on Christ, I am wearing Christ today, that is going to change the way that I live and act. It's the way it's going to change the way that I think about myself, the way that I think about God that day, and the way that I think about everyone else. And so he said, if you've been baptized in Christ, you have put on Christ, and then I think we need to continue to put him on day after day after day. All right? It's crazy what that will do. And so the, here's the point that he's trying to make with this. If you have been baptized into Christ, if you've accepted Christ by faith, your primary identity has changed. Well, however you identified yourself before, and we all choose an identity. We choose lots of different things to identify us. And a lot of times, honestly, our clothes reflect that. Like you can see someone and what they're wearing and be like, I know who you are. <laughs> you know, we were just, I'm going to talk about this a little later, but we were just in Brevard for a few days up in the mountains and it's very outdoorsy and everything. And I saw some people and I was like, I know who you are. You probably haven't showered this week. Right, you know, like, like you can tell by what someone's wearing because people choose an identity. You drive around, drive down the highway and look at the back of people's cars and they got stickers all over their cars. Let me got stickers on your cars. What are you doing? You're putting a message out to everybody else who's driving on the road. This is who I am, right? We want people to know who we are. And so we choose an identity and that identity could be surrounded uh, around our family. It could be surrounded um, 
around our work or our career or our preferences or sports teams that we love or the activities that we enjoy doing or whatever it is. But we create this little subculture, this, this identity that we want to be known as. And what Paul is saying is if you've been baptized into Christ, your primary identity is now Christ. Above all of those other things. And this is such a trick for us. And again, this is something you're going to discuss in groups this week. How do you do this? What does this look like? To take my identity in Christ, make that my primary identity, and make every other identity in my life, which is fine because we have those things, make all of those things come into submission to my identity in Christ. So me, you know, I may be a musician. So how am I a musician that is like and honors Christ? All right, I'm a father. How am I a father who is like Christ? How am I? All of these things come into submission to my primary identity, which is Christ. Unfortunately, what happens with a lot of Christians is that they accept Jesus by faith, and then they continue to live out their earthly identity and make their identity in Christ second, third, fourth, fifth, or way, way down on the list, and end up not becoming who God wants them to be because they never got this priority correct. So Paul is saying, remember, your primary identity, those of you that have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. You, your primary identity is in Christ. And that is crucial for our spiritual growth. And so one of the big questions you can ask yourself today, as you're starting to think about this, or if you have group this week and you're starting to think about the discussion in group, be honest with yourself. With yourself. There's no point in lying about this. What is your primary identity? What do you want people to see when they look at you? Now, prayerfully, hopefully for a Christian, the answer is I want them to see Christ. But that may not be the case in, in all of the lives in this room. So assess that for yourself. All right, let's go on. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that these distinctions don't exist. These distinctions are reality, and they exist. One of them, unfortunately. <laughs> but what he's saying, he's not saying that these things go away or these things don't exist. What he's saying is your primary identity is greater than any of these things. And so you don't look at somebody else and say they are less blessed or they are less worthy of God's love or they are less qualified for justification before God because of any of these things. And he points out race, he points out class, and he points out gender as kind of the three biggest categories of this. But you could fill this with anything. That we are one in Christ, that there are no barriers. And this was a big problem for them at the time, and he needed the Galatians to know this. That it wasn't just that certain classes of people or certain genders or certain races were more favorable before God or more blessed before God or could receive salvation and other ones couldn't. Famously, uh, it's, it's understood that at this time that rabbis, Jewish rabbis, would wake up and part of their prayer would be, I thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. They would pray that. I'm serious. How awful, how awful that is, but they would pray that because they felt because they were free males who were Jewish that they were more blessed or more capable of receiving God's blessing than others. And that's garbage, right? We know that's not true, and Paul knows that's not true. And so he says there is not, there's not Greek, which would be Gentile. There's not Greek. There's not slave or free. There's not male or female. Your primary identity together is in Christ. So you are one in Christ. 
right? And that, that doesn't mean that there's not differences in roles and lots of all the other things, but he's saying, he's talking about identity here. You are all one in Christ. And we need to think that way. It's really hard for us to think that way. To think that, to think that one person is deserving of God's love and another person isn't, or another person has earned salvation and another person hasn't, is a very human way of thinking because it's based on merit. It's the way that religious systems are built. But we're not part of a religious system. We are in Christ in grace. And so all people, regardless, can come to faith in him. There is no distinction with God. And it, it is what ultimately what binds us together as believers, regardless of any of those other differences. As I was reading through and studying um, this week, I, I read a um, bunch of different commentaries as I'm, as I'm studying and, and, and researching. And one of them I love is by a guy named David Guzik. I, I re- almost always read his um, commentaries. And so if you're looking for a good one to pick up, his is good. And he, he put this, and it really grabbed me. This really grabbed me, and I think this is very um, timely. He said this, If you feel you have more common ground with an unbeliever who shares your race or your political party, then with a genuine Christian from another race or political party, you've drawn a line that Jesus died on the cross to erase. I thought that was powerful. We are united in faith in Jesus Christ. And then we have lots of differences as believers that we can discuss and we can work through and we can, we can all of that and love through. But ultimately, we are believers in Jesus Christ. We put on Christ and that is what unites us above everything else. And he says that on verse 29, if you're Christ's, so this is everyone who's been baptized, right? This is going back, all of you that have baptized into Christ, all that have put on Christ, all that are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That we, by faith in Jesus, inherit the same promise that was given to Abraham. Now, we talked about this, um, if you remember, it, we just went through the, the book of Romans over basically last school year. And in the fall last year, uh, in Romans, Paul dedicates what we know as three chapters to talking about Israel and talking about what, has ha- what happened to Israel and how we relate to them and what Israel's future is. And what we learned as we went through that, we spent four weeks in it. And if we learned that God has a plan for Israel that he's not done with them, that he still has a plan for them. And we haven't replaced them. Paul says that, that we have been grafted in. He uses the analogy, that, the agricultural analogy of being grafted in to this olive tree. If you, if you were here, you remember we put the olive tree picture up. It's this really incredible uh, wide tree. And we've been grafted in, but God is not done with Israel. And I want to take a minute, if, if we can, just to, to, to pause and talk about what's maybe the elephant in the room. If you've been watching the news this week, I guess I should say, if you haven't been watching the news this week, this week Hamas attacked Israel. Hamas is, the, uh, is a terrorist group um, that controls an area called the Gaza Strip and has for some time that is bordered by Israel. And this week they attacked Israel, killing civilians, thousands upon thousands of civilians. And if you don't know this, Bill called and and, uh, told me this last night that the word Hamas in uh, the uh, Hebrew, the word Hamas in Scripture means violence. That's what it means. 
And so they attacked Israel this week. And there's been a big backlash, and Israel has attacked back, and now it's looking like, you know, war. Don't know, don't know how long things are going to happen and who's going to be involved and, you know, who's going to jump in on the conflict and all that kind of stuff. But I want to encourage you to be praying for Israel as they go through this because God still has a plan for Israel. And so we need to be praying for them and praying that God's will be done in it. And so this is important. We have been brought into the blessing of Israel as a church. They are, and even though God, even though Israel as a nation, even though Jews of today haven't accepted Christ as their Messiah, we are still connected to them. We are still connected to them, and we need to pray for them that God's will would be done. So I want to encourage you to do that. But God said that the promise would be to Abraham's seed. And Paul made it clear in our passage last week, not to seeds, plural, but to seed, singular. God's promise was to come through Jesus. Jesus was the seed. So the promise comes through Jesus, and the promise and the blessing comes to us because we are in Christ. All right? That's what Paul's getting at there. All right, let's go into chapter 4, and he's going to talk about what being a son means. What does it mean for us that we are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus? All right, chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say, and I'll just read a, I'll read a, a, a kind of a chunk here, and then we'll talk about it. <clears throat> now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. So if we could pause for a moment, he's describing what we talked about last week, that, that when we were under the law, they were under a pedagogue and under so that's the, the heir is in the house, but the heir does not control anything in the house until they're of the age that the father decides that it's time for them to, to, uh, to uh, lay hold of that. So verse three, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So he's talking about this transition and what is, what's happened, that Israel was under the law, was under the, the governess, was under the tutor, until the fullness of time has come when they take possession and become an heir. So to understand this culturally, in Rome, when there was a wealthy family and they had a child, and the, the, the oldest son in, in most cases, when the oldest son was young, they would be under the, the leadership of someone else who would take care of them. And then when the father, and this would be different times for different kids, because I think we all know that kids mature at different ages. <laughs> when the father felt like it was appropriate, it would be time for the son to take his full position as an heir of the family household. And there was a ceremony that would take place where the father would give him a new toga, a new robe. It was called the toga virilis. And when the son put on the toga virilis, it was the, it was the moment when he became a man, when he became an heir, when he became mature. And it was like a rite of passage for them to do that. So what, that's what Paul is describing here. He's saying that's what's happening with God's people. And now when Jesus gave his life on the cr cross, he gives us a new robe. He gives us his clothes. He gives us his righteousness. And now we are heirs of the promise. We are heirs of God. And we are all sons. 
because in their culture, women couldn't inherit anything, unfortunately. So that's why he says we are all sons, because it works with the analogy. And we would be, he said, until then, you were under the bondage of the elements of the world. So for the Jews, that would be under the law. For the Gentiles, it would have been under pagan, religious, moral, ethics, philosophy, and, and all of that. He said, you were under that until the time was right. And then God sent his son so that you could receive the clothes of Jesus. You could be out from under the law, out from under the tutor, and you could walk in a new reality with God. And as we're starting to turn the corner in Galatians, we're gonna start learning what this new reality is, okay? It's not the law, so then what is it? How do we do this? How do we walk in it? When the timer is right, Jesus, God was sent, or God sent Jesus, born of a woman, emphasizing his humanity, but God sent him, emphasizing his deity, so both at the same time. He was under the law. I think we mentioned this last week. It's really important when you're reading through the Gospels and you're seeing Jesus talk that he's talking to people who are still under the law because they are under the law until he dies on the cross, and that makes a big difference in, in what you read. But then his purpose was to redeem us, and that's the financial term, to buy us back, to buy our freedom so that we could become sons and heirs, so that we could be adopted sons of God. We are adopted children of God, which is such a beautiful thing. Jesus is the only begotten son of God. It's one of the reasons I like the New King James and John 3.16. It uses that language. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is the only begotten son, which means that he came out of God. All right? So Jesus is the only begotten, but we are adopted and I think the picture of adoption and us and our father is so beautiful. He chose us. He chose to bring us into his family. And we didn't do anything to earn that or we didn't do anything to deserve that. We were brought in by his grace and adopted children of God. And when he brought us in and he said, welcome, you're home. And look at all of this that's yours. We are heirs. Heirs of God. What an incredible, incredible thing. So verse six, because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We have been written into God's will. We've been brought into his family. Jesus secures our status as sons and heirs. But the spirit secures our experience of sonship and inheritance. He has sent forth the spirit into our hearts to confirm this and to show us what, it's, what it means to live in this. And that's the secret to how do we live this? How do we do this? This is what we're going to be talking about. He sent the Spirit into our heart to put us in a position where we can look at God and we can say this word Abba, it means Papa. It's not Father. It's not Dad. It means Papa or Daddy. Where we can look at God not as this judge on a throne who's waiting to hold us accountable to the law and dole out punishments, which is the way most people look at God, but the Spirit allows us to look at God as our Papa, 
who loves us and loves us unconditionally and has an inheritance for us. It's a word that brings with it the idea of trust and safety and confidence. And it's interesting that Paul, when he's writing to Galatians, who are Gentiles, who speak Greek, and Paul is writing in Greek, that he chooses the word Abba because the word Abba is Aramaic. It's not Greek. Why wouldn't he use the Greek word? Because Abba is the word that Jesus used. Famously in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. So if I don't have to go to the cross, let's not do that. But as we know, he had to go to the cross because we couldn't be good enough to pay for, to atone for our sins. He says, Abba, if it's your will. Daddy, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is a word Jesus used in the, one of the deepest moments of relationship that we get to see, see between him and his father. When he was crying out to his father, when he was under so much pressure that he sweat drops of blood, as he thought about what he was facing in his darkest moment, as he's looking forward to the cross, to being betrayed into the cross, Jesus chooses this word. So when Paul writes to the Galatians, he gives them this word. And I'll tell you also, he gives you this word. That even while you're praying, you can pray and say, Abba. And there's something to it. Sometimes when I pray, I use this word, Abba. And it, it's something about the fact that I'm using it and I know what it means. It brings me in closer to him. And so even in your darkest moments, in your deepest moments, the spirit confirms to you that you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you're an heir. And so you can go to your papa and say, Papa, cry out to him. Papa, Abba. Now, I, I will, I do feel the need to, to throw this in here. Maybe just do that privately. So when people pray publicly and they start by praying, oh, daddy, I'm like, don't, please don't do that for all of us. <laughs> Let, let's keep that just, let's keep that between you and him, right? It's, it's, that, it's that close moment that we have with him, all right? It's that close moment. He says, what this does, this confidence, this knowing that God is not the judge waiting to send a lightning bolt to strike us and smite us but that he is a father who loves us with all of his heart, who sent his son to die on the cross for us, and who has promised us an inheritance and a blessing. Changes the way that we look at God, and that matters greatly. And if these Galatians get pulled back into thinking, if they, if they start by faith, but then they're supposed to persevere in, in their justification before God by works, then they're just going to shift back into looking at God as that judge on the seat waiting to punish them. And that's no way to live with God. And that's no way to love God. We go to him, Abba, Father. It's the word that Jesus used. It's in Mark chapter 14. Let me just read it to you. He went a little further. Jesus, he went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And if it's good enough for Jesus, and if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for us as well. No matter who you've been, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what kind of life you've lived, 
you, like me, can put your faith in Jesus Christ, receive the grace of God, and walk in the confidence of the Spirit day by day, allowing Him to transform you and change you from the inside out, knowing that God is loving and He is good and He is gracious and He is your Father. And you can sit in His lap and look up into His eyes and trust Him. And be confident to know that what He tells you, what He promises, is true. Any of us can experience God's love and inherit the promise. And what God wants to see from us in this new reality where we're not under the law, he wants to see us flourish and mature. He wants to see us make the decision to follow him and pursue holiness in Christ. Not not because there's a law telling us we have to, but because we have the Spirit showing us what our life can be like, the kind of people that we can be. And it is such a beautiful thing to see a Christian mature and get to the point where there's an intrinsic motivation that's driving them to holiness and faithfulness. I told you um, earlier that we went on a trip to Brevard. Um, We promised uh, all of our kids a special trip for their 13th birthday, wherever they wanted to go, within reason. (laughs) And uh, J.D. wanted to go to Harry Potter World, and so we went to Harry Potter World for his 13th. Jairus turned 13 um, last November and uh, didn't know what he wanted to do. And so we spent some time to figure it out, and almost a year later, he's turned 14 next month. Um, We decided that we were going to go camping. He's really been into mountain biking and being outside, and so we decided we were going to go camping. We rented a camper. We went to Brevard, um, stayed at uh, Davidson River Campground, and uh, went out on a, uh, on a hike the f- first thing Monday morning. That was a mistake. We shouldn't have done that. We're not prepared for hiking uh, three miles into an unimpressive waterfall and then three miles back out. So we're, we're not made for that quite yet. So we, we ended the hiking a little early. But Jairus uh, had brought his bike and um, he's, been, he's been making trails and things in the woods, and he's got pallets back there. They've made, like, little step-ups and all kinds of stuff, and he's constantly tweaking his bike and working on it. He's been riding a lot. And um, so we decided in the afternoon on Monday, instead of hiking to more waterfalls and getting frustrated, um, that he was going to ride his bike, I was going to rent a bike, and we were just, he and I were just going to go off. And we ended up going off on, like, a 12-mile um, bike ride. And um, that was also a mistake. But... I, I was riding behind, most of the time I was behind him because he was out in front of me and I was playing catch up. Um, but I was watching him ride and I couldn't help but remember back to teaching him how to ride his bike. And I actually have some videos of him learning how to ride his bike. Because when he first started, he got on his bike and he had, you know, it was a little bike and it had the training wheels on it, Right. And then we took the training wheels off. We actually took the pedals off so he could learn to glide and balance for a while. And now, years later, it's his favorite thing to do. And we're riding, we're riding up these hills. I'm dying. And he's riding with no hands. He's just he's got his hands off the handlebars and riding and finding jumps to do and everything. And I couldn't help but watch him ride his bike and think, man, like how far he has come over the years and his ability to do this. And then I couldn't help but think that, man, this is just what God is doing with us. And he gave the law, the law were training wheels, the law kept, kept people's balance, the, the law kept people from toppling over, but showed them their sin, and ultimately that they wanted to ride without the wheels. And then God took the training wheels off, and we're learning to balance, and we're learning to ride, 
And hopefully, th- through the Spirit's help, as we become more and more like Jesus, we'll be riding with no hands, <laughs> you know? That's what God is wanting to see in our life. Us to take responsibility and ownership over holiness, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit with us, that he is teaching us. He's teaching us through the law. He's teaching us through all of Scripture. He's, he's convicting us of sin and using the Scripture as a mirror so that we can see when we have something on our face. And then we clean it off with his help. And we're pursuing this on our own without having to have this thing held over our head. And that is a much better place to live. And we can fly a lot higher with that kind of reality than we can just trying to live above a minimum standard. That's what he wants to see. And as we continue to go in Galatians, we're going to see what happens. What happens in our heart? What happens in our life when we embrace this process? So open yourself up to this. Continue looking at your life. Think about your identity and what's first and what's foremost and what your desires are. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you that that you have loved us in your grace. You didn't have to do that. When when humanity turned their back on you, when we sinned, thought we could do it better, thought we belonged in your seat, you could have just said, that's enough. You made your choice. Could have just cast us off, moved on to something else. But you didn't because you love us so deeply. And so you began, you began by creating a people, beginning, putting the training wheels on and, and teaching who you were, what was good for us and what was not good for us. Showing in black and white, without a shadow of a doubt, that we sin, that we fall short of your glory. Showing your people that that sin needed to be atoned for through a system of sacrifices, but that was never sufficient. I could never cover all sin. So the sacrifice had to be made over and over and over and over again. But all of that was teaching your people. All of that was pointing your people forward to what was sufficient, what was necessary. And that's for Christ to come born of a woman, born under the law, to live fully and completely without sin and to offer his life in our place so that we as people who cannot be perfect, that cannot overcome the sin nature that's in our heart, could trade our sinfulness for his righteousness. That Jesus would make that offer on the cross. That if we put our faith in him, we can receive the grace you have and become your child. For Jesus to be put in the grave and to rise again on the third day, proving power over sin and death, giving us the confidence to know that what you say is true. What you promise you will keep. And to know that we're your child. 
And if we're a child, then we're heirs. Heirs of the promise that you gave to Abraham, heirs of eternal life. And you've given us the spirit to confirm that and remind us of that. You've given us the spirit to lead us and to guide us into holiness, to take us to levels that the law never could. That we would look to Christ and we would aspire to be like him. Not that we would look at a set of rules and aspire to just keep them. But to look at Christ and aspire to be like him and to know that in the spirit we can chase after that day after day. That we are clothed in Christ and clothed in his righteousness. And that as we pursue this and as we walk through a life that is hard and difficult with the temptation everywhere, conflict everywhere, evil everywhere, and so much good as well, but as we face all of that, to know the Spirit can allow us as sons and heirs to look at you, Abba. To cry out to you, Abba. And know that it's not because of anything that we've done. Not because we were good enough. Not because we kept the rules. But because of Christ's righteousness. Because we have been baptized into Christ. And we have put on Christ. And he is enough. He is enough. He can lead us into holiness. And we know that we are saved not by our righteousness, but by his. And so we thank you for that today. So God, here's what we're asking. We want to become as much like Jesus as we can. Show us where we're failing at this. Show us, in total honesty, show us where we've taken other identities and placed them above our identity in Christ. We've made other things more important. Maybe we want people to see us based on our achievements or based on our our skill in some area based on our, our preferences or our, our, our activities or entertainment or other things that we, we take and we turn it into the thing. Forgive us if we put something else above our identity in Christ and we're allowing that to ultimately drive our relationship with Christ rather than the other way around. And so I pray, God, you would show us that. If that's the case, show us that. And show us the power of the Spirit, help us to see and discuss with, with other believers how to make our identity in you first and foremost, leading and driving everything else in our life. As we put you on day by day and seek to bring as much honor and glory to you as we can in the name of Christ. God, we thank you for that today. We lift all of it up to you. We ask that you continue to lead us, guide us, encourage us, bless us as a church as we do this together. We trust you in all things. It's in your name we pray. Amen.